Ronaldo, vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo, Ronaldo vai partir, paradinha, atirou, golo! Já está, já está, já está! Hello and welcome to the Portugal podcast number 89. My name is Tom Cundit and today we will be discussing everything that is going on in Portuguese club football. And who better to do that than Portuguese football journalist and coach uh, Vasco Mota Pereira. Hi there Vasco, how are you? Hi Tom, I'm okay, thanks for asking you. Yep, all good, all good here, thanks. Okay, well, we'll be focusing on the big three who are coming off a superb Champions League week with Benfica, Porto and Sporting all winning. Uh, we'll be doing that in a while, but I think I'd like to start this podcast just for a change, a little differently. We're going to take a look at uh, some of the other teams who are making a splash in the 2014-15 Primeira Liga. Okay, so Vasco, uh, no team outside of Big Three has looked more impressive than Victoria Guimarães. Uh, the Northerners, the Northerners are sitting pretty in third place. They're just two points behind Benfica. Uh, now Vasco, their coach, uh, the aptly named Rui Vitoria, uh, has just. I remember when, actually when he was appointed as coach, he said, "This just has to be perfect, doesn't it?" I mean, my <laughs> name is Rui Vitoria. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you ask for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, he's been made manager at Gimarange. He's had severe financial restrictions, uh, no money at all to speak with, uh, to speak of, and yet he continues to do a magnificent job. He, of course, led Victoria Gimarange to the Portuguese Cup triumph a couple of seasons ago. That's the first time they'd ever won the Portuguese Cup. Uh, and uh, they've been up near the top of the league really throughout his time there and as I say at the moment they're third they're looking very good, they're looking very strong uh, so Vasco, how do you explain it? How do you explain the success? Well, that, I think that's the million dollar question I would say um, Guimarães are a very very peculiar club and institution um, and they're able to rally from being demoted like few other clubs in Europe, but they're also capable of shooting themselves in the foot um, quite expertly. Uh, I think that on one hand supporters have, have finally realized the club's uh, limited financial reach uh, and I mentioned the supporters because they're a really important factor in all of this uh, in Guimarães as, as in the past they had They've had no problem whatsoever in whatsoever in turning up the heat on their own players and coaches after a few matches when things were not going what they perceived should be their way. Uh, but nowadays, supporters are much more forgiving of the odd uh, bad results or display, and much more encouraging of of young players coming through the ranks. And I think that's the other part of the the equation is Guimarães are doing roughly the same thing as Sporting or or vice versa. Due to the to the severe financial constraints that you mentioned, uh, they've had to close the influx of, of expensive foreign players and turn to the good things they've had they had had all along their academy and scouting network. If you couple that with a patient coach who is uh, not afraid of to bring new blood, even if some of the players are quite young, uh, of bringing them into the team, it creates a positive. I mean, almost. 
symbiotic atmosphere between club and supporters. However, I would just like to note that uh, even though Rui Vitoria should be praised for his work under the radar over the past few years, the most important trick is usually the ability to keep up with success because it breeds higher expectations from everyone, including within the club. So one year is uh, relatively easy to endure. Uh, one successful year or season, uh, two years is a bit harder. So yeah, still on, I'm still undecided on this one. Yeah, well, he's been there now for what is it three years, and he's done yeah. pretty well at the moment. I think uh, it's very interesting. Of course, there you you touch on the fact that uh, perhaps his biggest triumph, you could say, is uh, his ability to bring up <coughs> you know young players through the ranks. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we just have a look uh, recently, of course they uh, they've had some very good young players over the years, and then they've had to sell them uh, players like Ricardo Pereira who uh, is doing very well for the Portugal under-21s, went to Porto, hasn't had much of a look in there because of the tough competition, but you know, I think he's a very high-quality player. Uh, and players who we even forget a little about because uh, they did so well at Guimarães then uh, didn't quite uh, progress when they left, like Thiago Rodriguez, of course, mm -hmm. who also went to Porto, and uh, Balde, the, the striker yeah. who went to Celtic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, and Paulo Oliveira, of course, who uh, the centre-back who, who went to to sporting and uh, as well as so he lost all those players and more but then if we look at the I mean I, I was looking especially at the, the Gimarães against sporting game when they were really so impressive they they were the strongest side from start to finish and that side was really packed with again very very uh, talented young players they've got the Ghanaian Mensah uh, centre-back Joao Alfonso who's plucked from the regional leagues and yeah, he's just been a super Impressive in terms of Guimarães, sorry for cutting yeah. you off. Is that no, just like, uh, and Nani and uh, Andre Andre, of course. Yeah. And so, uh, do you think it's, uh, you said that uh, I suppose the acid test is if uh, Rui Vitoria can, can keep this success going. Uh, do you think they could do, for example, what Braga did in the, in the last decade or so and really consistently finish in a top, top four, maybe? I think I think like, uh, I'm not exactly sure to be honest because because Braga had a had a, a financial stronghold in Antonio Salvador which Guimarães don't have and so I think because Guimarães like you said have had to sell uh, their best players and will will keep having to do so. Um, there might be the odd year where they're very good and the, maybe the league is not uh, as strong as it used to be and they end up in third or something. But it can happen. the other thing can happen as well. The, the exact opposite of, of the players that they bring in are not as good as the ones from the previous season. So I don't think they'll be able to, to be as stable uh, in the long run, to be honest, as Braga, because I don't think there's a financial clout to, to revolve uh, play good players in and out, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, I'm thinking months and, and seasons. Uh, like uh, Vasco just mentioned there a little earlier, Guimarães is a, quite a special club in Portugal. I'd say it's the club with probably the most fervent fans, perhaps in the whole of Portugal. Uh, it's the, 
it's the only city, Guimarães is a fairly big city in northern Portugal, which hasn't got a Benfica house, a Porto house or a sporting house, which you see in every town and city throughout Portugal because, uh, you know, the Guimarães fans just won't accept it at all. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, Pascal, uh, let's move on to another surprise package who's uh, worthy of special mention, and that's a... Uh, well, a couple of them really, Passos de Ferreira and Belenenses, who are fourth and fifth respectively in the standings. Uh, Vasco, looking at Passos, first of all, and of course it's a case of redemption for coach Paulo Fonseca. Uh, after his nightmare experience at Porto last year, he's back at the club where he made his name, and again he's doing a fantastic job. Uh, is this proof that Porto perhaps should have kept faith with him? or that he will have another opportunity in the future at a bigger club? What do you think? Uh, I, <laughs> I think you're hell-bent on putting me through the ringer, to be honest. <laughs> 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 uh, if, I, if I'm honest, I think it's proof of neither of that. I think um, Paul Fonseca was way out of his depth at FC Porto, and uh, he didn't seem to have the answers as far as tactics or dressing room management were concerned. I think this may be that piece of evidence of, of a precept that states that you're promoted until you're not competent anymore. Uh, and I think in FC Porto, Paulo Fonseca found just that. And that in Passo Ferreira, he found his home, a place where he can work well without the added pressure of having to win every match and play beautiful football for the stands. Mm. Having but said that... Do you think he would have learned from his mistakes, maybe? Um, maybe, but I think you don't you don't get too many opportunities at, at the big three. And he didn't quite impress, and it didn't look like it was just a matter of bad luck or 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 managers or sorry or presidents not standing by him. So I would be quite surprised if he were offered another chance at one of the big three. Okay. Uh, and uh, and Belenenses then, uh, Belenenses of course here, uh, another historic club from Lisbon, uh, one of only five clubs to have won the league, of course, apart from the big three, the only two clubs who have broken that uh, stronghold have been Belenenses back in the 50s and uh, Boa Vista more recently. And Belenenses, they came back, uh, they got promoted a couple of seasons ago, had a very uh, tough first season back in the top flight last season, really fighting relegation throughout uh, the whole season. Uh, spot their manager near the end, got uh, Lito Vidigal in. He managed to save them. And uh, this year, they're uh, looking at a transformed team. They're in fifth. And uh, perhaps this season, they're not going to have to worry about a relegation battle. Uh, Vasco, can you find any common thread between the success of uh, these clubs with l much fewer resources than the big three, uh, Gimarães, Passos, and Belenenses? Uh, yes, I think I can, if I can be so bold. Uh, I, I believe it's very weird for us Portuguese uh, people, but I believe it's a matter of sticking to a, a carefully laid out plan instead of ripping the whole thing every time there's a bump on the road. Rui Vitoria was allowed to carry on despite some bad results uh, at times, because management thought he was the right man for the job and that their future would be well taken care of. Take, I mean, it's, it was either that or they just didn't have the money to fire him. It's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> good, 
the same thing I think is happening at Linense and Passos because they're keeping their faith with with coaches and players and not not committing any crazy acts of buying, hiring, firing just willy-nilly, but rather staying true to their course, even if it means struggling a bit in the short term, like for instance Bluenens last season. That vision, that ability to stick to the plan and not just rely uh, your your assessment on immediate results seems to me like the common thread here, and not unlike Mifika, for instance, on a different level, of course, but it's it's virtually the same thing because even when results are slightly below what you were looking for, it doesn't mean that uh, everything's a mess and everything's wrong and you should tear the whole thing apart and start afresh. Uh, so I think that's the common thread there, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, well, you know, of course, Portugal, I'd say it's, well, you can't really say it's only Portugal, it's kind of football culture, isn't it? It's a very short-term, hire and fire, uh, very results orientated, but uh, yeah, I think I agree with you. There seems to be a little bit more patience uh, nowadays at most clubs. Uh, I remember quite a few seasons after quite a few seasons uh, over the recent years, uh, after about eight or nine games or ten games, which is where we are now. Sometimes we would have uh, kind of half of the teams would have sacked their manager. <laughs> yeah, we're going for the next one. That doesn't seem to be uh, such a prevailing attitude nowadays. Yeah. Okay. So now let's move on to the big boys and a uh, very good week of course for Portugal in Europe and uh, Porto they're already in the knockout stage of the Champions League with two games to spare. Uh, they've really had a superb campaign so far in Group H. Uh, after a little wobble in their season the Dragons seem to be uh, looking like a pretty formidable outfit. Uh, Basco, uh, the coach, Hulan uh, Lopetegui, he was criticised for his heavy rotation policy. Uh, he seems to have toned it down a little in recent weeks, picking a more settled side, and coincidence or not, uh, Porto's results have improved. Uh, is that a bit too simplistic a, a reading, or do you think that's uh, the two things are connected? <laughs> I think that's a question that would take me hours to answer properly, um, especially around the coffee shop table or something, uh, <laughs> because I have almost two separate minds about it. Rationally, I think rotation should not be an issue. Uh, the case of, of Mourinho or even Jorge Jesus at some point immediately sprang to my mind because if the coaching methods are good, I mean drills and practices should be enough to get all players or at least most players in the same groove, especially when the overall level is so high, as is the case with FC Porto this season. On the other hand, my empirical side as coach tells me that a more settled team, or at least a, a strong backbone, usually brings added stability and, and, and greater confidence to those involved, including the ones that rotate more often or play, or play fewer matches. Mm -hmm. on, on the other hand, last night aside, because I think it was an exception, I believe FC Porto's recent results um, still mask some frailties that have been exposed not so long ago, like for instance against Sporting uh, for the Portuguese Cup. So I believe reading too much into results without considering the circumstance, circumstances may, may sometimes be a bit misleading. So I'm not exactly convinced just yet. Yeah, yeah. It's a, of course, it's a fascinating discussion and one which probably 
20 years ago uh, just wouldn't have happened, would it? Because uh, now with the big squads uh, it's, uh, and so many competitions and European football taking such a, uh, a big place in uh, really f football in, in all countries, uh, I think rotation, the fact of the need to rotate your team has, uh, has become almost a kind of second nature. But uh, like you said, it's very, very tricky to do it. Very good examples there. I remember Jose Mourinho, one thing when he was at Porto, his first time, I remember uh, one thing which amazed me and which really told me that he was a special manager was that when he brought in those players who had played a very little part in the season, uh, they just gave a, they just played fantastically. Uh, can you remember the striker, Jankowskis, I think his name was, the <laughs> Lithuanian striker? He's a like, perfect example. He, uh, I remember when he came on once or twice as a substitute, uh, scored quite a few important goals, and yeah. I even remember the Lithuanian manager at the time saying, he doesn't understand what Jose Mourinho has done to him because uh, he can't even recognise that striker is so good, and yet he just played a really small bit part in the season. So, but I think the trick there, or the secret, is for instance, there used to be this this policy in, in the Portuguese cup with the coaches at the top three that you rotated everything, especially when you played against like uh, third division teams or something like that. Right. And you rotated the whole team, and suddenly there were eleven new players that just looking at each other, having no idea what to do or who the other centre-back was or something. <laughs> and with Mourinho, for instance, that never happened. There was always Deco and Alenicev, and suddenly instead of Kostinha there was Tiago, or instead of Stiga there was Jankowski. There were three or four players tops, never just never the whole team. So there was a common strong backbone all over the team that accommodated everything and, and gave the, those players uh, a sense of belonging. Rather than just, I don't know, slicing and dicing everything almost at will. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, of course, how Porto and the and the Sporting Benfica, of course, manage this uh, their their teams uh, throughout the the season. Because uh, if this week has anything to go by, hopefully they'll all still be in European competition <coughs> after Christmas. So uh, talking of Sporting. Uh, they continue to be a bit of a schizophrenic team, in my opinion. Uh, I was at the Alvalad last night to see the Lions relaunch their Champions League campaign with an exhilarating 4-2 win over Schalke 04. Uh, Schalke <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, excellent, uh, really excellent uh, display, very enjoyable night, uh, great entertainment. Uh, but as has been the case throughout the season with Sporting, they look great going forward, but highly suspect at the back. Uh, now, Vasco, you wrote in our recent uh, Champions League halfway stage appraisal article on uh, Portugal.net that uh, Sporting really could not aspire to go too far in uh, in competitions this season <coughs> with the central defenders they have at their disposal. Uh, are you sticking to that opinion? Uh, actually, no. I'm I'm escalating my opinion to absolute certainty. <laughs> 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 Even though, I mean, I know players alone, but I mean, individual players cannot hold, uh, cannot bear all the responsibility because that's what the coach is there for. I believe Mauricio should not be playing for any team aspiring to progress in the Champions League. Uh, and even Saar looks far too vulnerable. They seem to have 
huge difficulties at basic stuff like reading the game and understanding when to step up and when to stay back. And I have a, I find I find it very hard to understand because uh, it was evident uh, in past games uh, that they played. So and, and also their liability with the ball at their feet. So when you you string all of that together, it looks uh, like a recipe for disaster. If for all the attacking power at, the, at his disposal, I think Marco Silva must strike a balance between the team's two faces because, like you put it so well, right now they look a bit schizophrenic and any team able to make the most of transitions and, and, and sporting centre-backs for positioning will punish the Lions in great measure, in my view, and I think it won't take long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm speaking with some sporting friends of mine uh, recently rather pessimistically that uh, yeah, it's a very exciting season in store for Sporting but they really hope that Sporting finish third in their Champions League group because if they finish second then they're saying with, that, with our centre-backs it could get very ugly yeah. in the knockout rounds yeah. so uh, let's wait and see I was actually, I thought Saar uh, yesterday specifically the game yesterday I was uh, much more impressed with him and uh, I actually do think he has got the tools to possibly be a, a good centre-back, but, of course, very, very raw and very green at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the thing with the Champions League, is that you don't have that many chances yeah. to improve, like, progressively and slowly. You'll be punished by, I don't know, Diego Costa or Mandzukic, yeah. or it doesn't matter. It's really hard. Exactly. Okay, so let's move on to Benfica. And Benfica, like Sporting, uh, also got back into the hunt for qualification to the Champions League knockout stages after a hard-fought 1-0 win over Monaco at the Stadio de Luz on Tuesday night. Uh, Vasco, do you think they can make it out of the group? They're still bottom, but only one point separates the bottom three. And, uh, and what about Talishka then? The boy can't stop scoring. Uh, how, how good is he? Uh, well, I I do believe Benfica have the squad to make it out of their group. Yes, um, I, I didn't think it was as easy a group as I've heard as I heard say in some quarters when when we got to know about the draw. But I think Benfica surely have what it takes. However, I'm still perplexed by George Jesus' insistence on playing virtually the same way domestically or in Europe as if there were no difference between playing Riwab at home or Bayer Leverkusen away. <laughs> if, if the Eagles remain uh, stubbornly set in their ways without any tactical flexibility, regardless of who they're facing, I believe the, Euro the Europa League will once again be their destination because in Portugal, ramming your opponents and leaving your defense a bit exposed is fine because the difference in the players' individuals, individual abilities means that only one out of 10 or 20 chances will actually go in. In Europe, that number decreases dramatically. And I think, for some reason, Mefica have not realized that yet. And it keeps making them vulnerable to successive disappointments. As, as, um, as for Talishka, I believe is full of potential. And I think that he's come to the right club led by the right men. Because if he wants, he will be able to learn a lot from Jorge Zouf in terms of positioning, in terms of, of reading the game, and uh, therefore making better decisions more often. I don't think there's any doubt about his potential and skills because 
if he's willing to learn, I think it will be another gem for Benfica's war chess. Yeah, yeah. I must admit, one other thing which has impressed me, Talisco, apart from his sheer quantity of goals, of course, is uh, any time you hear him interviewed, he just seems very level-headed, very calm, yeah. and uh, exactly what you just said there. He said he's, uh, he realises he's at a phase of his career when it's very important to learn, and he believes he's at the right club. And... Uh, and so it's, it looks like you said uh, Benfica could have another gem on their hands. Uh, like you said there, actually, it's very interesting that uh, uh, George Jesus just can't help himself, can he? <laughs> He's just such an attacking coach. that uh, I remember a couple of seasons ago, uh, he seemed to have a kind of change of tack, especially in Europe. He seemed to be a little bit more cautious. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe instead of, Basically, playing a 4-2-4, which is, he he tends to go for most of the time, he he, he bolstered the midfield a little bit, and uh, you know, and I think it did actually lead to some better results in Europe. But he seems to have uh, kind of abandoned that idea or Mcnell to to implement something similar, and it's just been a non-stop attack. But uh, it really does leave the central midfield area very short, doesn't it? Uh, in, in my opinion, it does. I know there will be some people who disagree, and I know that's uh, that's part of the Benfica way of of, of the successive wave, waves of attacking. I understand that, but at some point there has to be some realization that playing in, in the Champions League is not the same thing as playing against Vitória Guimarães or Pasto I mean, the stronger teams. Uh, it's not the same thing, and um, and I. I I wouldn't I understood when it was like the first year the the first two years I understood but it's now the sixth season that George Jesus is at Benfica um, I find it harder to understand that the the insistence on on doing the exact same thing against Europe's top teams because I think it has proved that it doesn't work Benfica yeah. might even get out of their of their group. Uh, but I still think they'll be knocked out, uh, and then on the next round. Yeah. Uh, what's that definition of madness? Uh, ah, yeah. Doing the same thing. <laughs> doing the same thing again and again, and expecting a different result. Well, or is it? Or is it definition of genius when you really believe yeah. what you're doing? <laughs> and it would come right in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Whatever. Uh, I think there's one thing which we can all agree on is watching the football played by George Jesus' sides is uh, is really a joy. You know, just uh, yeah. if you like goals, if you like attacking football, uh, he's your man. Okay. So Vasco, uh, just to finish up with, I'd like you uh, to have a little a bit of a broader look at the bigger picture. Think about everything we've talked about today. And uh, in your opinion, is the Primera Liga a truly competitive league? Uh, okay, we've talked about how good Guimarães, uh, uh, Belenenses and Passos, uh, one or two other clubs are doing, and uh, they see they've done very well, especially, I think, those clubs. Uh, have competed well when they've met the big three. Uh, but, uh, of course, when you look at the uh, Spanish League, the, the English League, the Italian League, German League, Mera Liga compare, in your opinion? I think, I think that's one of the toughest questions to answer. Uh, if I'm honest, I would have to say no, because there's a huge gap between the three big ones, 
and particularly FC Porto and Benfica and the rest of the clubs. Um, uh, and I think that the, that gap is evident everywhere. I was listening to Manuel Machado, the national coach, last last week or a couple of weeks ago. He was saying that except uh, when their when the, when their clubs are playing uh, the big three, no one really cares. There's no newspaper coverage or TV or something. I mean, it's minimal. It's res residual. And uh, that gap extends to everything. I mean, to finance, to coverage, to 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 the power that they have within the league. To the crowds. Uh, yeah. To the crowds. Yeah. That's and I think that's the thing because Portugal, like we all know, has two main poles, which is Porto and Lisbon, and everything else is basically obliterated. And uh, and it's very hard to keep a competitive league where the teams from everywhere else just have like 500 people watching. There's no money coming in. There's no publicity coming in. There's no coverage. Uh, the money that they make from TV is uh, is crucial for them, but it's still it's still incomparably too little when compared to Porto and Benfica. And right now, money plays a huge part in football, like we all know, not just in Portugal but everywhere. So if you if you look at it, you, you will see that Porto and Benfica, because because of their participation in the Champions League, have managed to perpetuate the cycle of of titles. It's either Porto or Benfica winning the league. It's hard to imagine any other team doing it. Braga almost did it, um, but it's just a one-off because Porto and Benfica make a lot more money, so they can buy a lot better players. For instance, this year Porto has Adrian Pelho. I don't know. Benfica, even though they 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 sold their best players, have still managed to find like Talisca and stuff. So I think it's the 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 gap is so big that competitive uh, is is um, is difficult to achieve because the gap is so 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 big. Mm. And the other thing is how do you describe competitive? Is it because some or all of the big clubs drop points, and it might just be because they're not that good? That particular year, like FC Porto last season, does it imply that other small smaller clubs have a shot at the title? I think it's. I think as the financial constraints uh, become more and more evident in Portugal, for instance, Porto and Benfica will 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 have to buy not as good players, um, but there will still be a huge gap because uh, FC Porto and Benfica have a um, hundred thousand sources or something. There's uh, there's money coming in from TV from advertising. Uh, Pasfreira has none of that, have none of that. Belenenses have none of that. They will be able to have, they will be more likely to have some success if they stick to the plan like we talked about. But in terms of competitiveness, mm, I wouldn't say so because FC Porto and Benfica are still the ones strong enough to, if for instance, Guimarães actually come third or something like that, Porto and Benfica will go there and buy half the team. Yeah. And suddenly Guimarães... Are, are in the middle of nowhere once again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'd agree with that analysis. That's uh, for the league as a whole. I don't think you can really call it competitive just because of that huge difference. You say, if people say that, uh, look at Portugal's top teams. They're as good as other top teams in other leagues, uh, perhaps you know, or they're not that far behind mm -hmm. uh, compared to <clears throat> certainly not as far as behind as perhaps they should be if you compare the finances. 
but mm -hmm. uh, like I said, two two different realities, really. Uh, it's going to be quite interesting to see what will happen if this uh, that if the the huge debts that uh, Porto and Benfica and Sporting have, if that really does change the way they uh, they have to set about building their squads in the next few years. Uh, hopefully, sporting. Uh, hopefully, the the top Portuguese clubs can keep competitive on a European basis. And of course, uh, the national team uh, doesn't really seem to be any shortage of talent coming through the ranks. So, all looks quite good in that department. Okay, well, that's all we've got time for, folks. Thank you for listening. And Vasco, thank you as ever for your uh, superbly insightful knowledge. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tom. Always a pleasure. Right. Uh, don't forget to keep track of all things Portuguese football. Visit www.portugal.net. That's P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L.net. Uh, we'll be back soon and uh, at day lap.